Again, good to see you today, and to those of you who are now joining us online, and welcome to Freedom Online. Glad to have you be a part of worship in that way. Um, I confess, Tony, that was a great worship set. I enjoyed it, and I confess that in the next to last song, right in the middle of worship, I just got totally distracted, and I'm going to get in trouble by sharing this, I know, on the front end, because it used the word adored right in the middle of that, which is a great word. And Jackie's going to kill me for telling me this, but it, this morning, this has nothing to do with the message. I'm sorry. I'm just, just being silly. But um, we have a thing that we always do on Sunday mornings. I, I get up early on Sundays, and I go have my quiet time and get my shower and shave and brush my teeth and all that stuff. And then I, I always do a Sunday morning wake-up call for Jackie, which is after I'm not completely dressed for church, I'll slip back in and lay down next to her and wake her up, you know, in bed just the way you wish you could wake up every day, just kind of, you know, just quietly starting the day gently. And so I lay down next to her and said, hey, it's your Sunday morning wake-up call coming to remind you that you're adored. And she, you know, she's just waking up and she rolls over and said, what? I said, it's your Sunday morning wake up call here to remind you that you're adored. Said, I'm a what? That you're adored. Did you just call me adored? <laughs> so all morning long, she has been my adored. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just in the middle of that song, we were singing about being adored and turned into adored for me. So anyway, Sorry. On to the message. <clears throat> we're in a series right now entitled uh, Avoiding the Pitfalls. And so uh, we're we're going to spend one more week after today talking about avoiding the things that would cause us to miss out on the grace of God and just walking in a place of uh, favor and anointing. And today we're going to head on a big one. Do you ever just pause to consider that as a follower of Jesus... Becoming more and more like Jesus and imitating him means not only loving what Jesus loves, but hating what Jesus hates. Do you ever just stop to consider that? And I know it's a lot more attractive to talk about who and what Jesus loves and to know that God is love, but to realize there were things that Jesus couldn't stand. There were things that drove him crazy and that still drive him crazy. And whatever Jesus hates, we ought to hate. Now, I know we've got to be careful about not going too far and too fast down that road because there are some churches that you just feel like they're just hating churches. That's all they do is talk about who and what they hate. But at the same time, there is a healthy balance that we need to realize what really bothers Jesus, and it should bother us too. And so what I want to talk to you today is about something that, based on what we find in the Gospels, appears to me to be the one thing above all that just drove Jesus crazy. He absolutely hated it. And I'll just sort of leave you hanging for a moment as to, to what that is. I'll let you just think about it. What do you think Jesus hated the most when he was on earth? I think it's something that he still hates the most. And, and so toward that thought, let me begin with the problem. The problem that I think every one of us who are followers of Christ face. See if you can't identify with this. I feel like... For all of us who are in the family of faith, that regardless of how you got there, and we've all come in some shape or, or form different ways to get there, and, and by that I just mean some of you saw the light and some of you felt the heat. I mean, we just we came different ways to, to get to Christ, but ultimately we arrive at the same place, and that is that being right with God 
comes only through faith in the crucified and risen Son of God, Jesus Christ. And you have to come to a place of realizing, I can't make it right. I can't get better. I can't just clean up my act. I've got to receive the forgiveness of God. And so regardless of how you got to that place, we essentially all eventually, if we get to the family of faith, we arrive at the same place. And that is where we realize I have blown it. I've blown it in countless ways, and I can't fix myself, but Jesus has paid the price, and we receive his forgiveness. And isn't it wonderful in that moment and in that season to realize no matter how bad I've been, no matter how far I've strayed, all is forgiven. That there is sufficient grace to cover everything that I've ever done. And and we just... I think generally when we arrive at that place, we just revel in the grace and the mercy of God to realize no matter what I've done, God still loves me and he makes all things new. And that's such a great place to be, the place of grace and forgiveness. But here's the problem. Time passes and we seek to grow in our faith, hopefully, and we get pretty far removed from that point in time when we first came to Christ and the longer that we live as Christians and the more we're in the church experience and we're around other Christian people the more we begin to have this sense that I've been a Christian for a while and so it's not so much about grace and forgiveness anymore as it is about I need to get my act together. Now, I used to be a lost person, and I acted like a lost person, and in some sense that's okay because God has forgiven me for all the stuff that I did, but I'm not a lost person anymore, so I better act like a saved person, and I better get my act together. And the longer we go down the line, the more we are tempted to believe that now our standing before God is based on having our act together and doing it right instead of living every day trusting in and just depending on the grace and the mercy and the provision and forgiveness of God. With the net result, unfortunately, that when I recognize in my life that though I should have my act together, I don't. I've got all these gaps. I ought not to think bad things, but I do. I ought not to say certain things, but I do. I shouldn't still have these struggles, but I do. And I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been a Christian for 42 years plus. I ought to have it together by now, but I don't. And so what do I do to cover for that? I do just that. I begin to cover. I begin to try and cover my gaps. I begin to really try and hide my deficiencies. I begin to try and project to you an image of me that I think looks like where I should be. And what you begin to see is a pretend version of my life. What we start doing is we start wearing masks. Masks that will cover up the reality of who and what we are to try and project the right image of who we think we should be and what we should look like. And Jesus despised that. He had a word for it. It's a word we still use today. Hypocrite. In fact, it's what the word means. The, the word in the Greek, our version of that is just basically a transliteration of the old Greek word. Hypocrite was the term used for a Greek actor. They didn't have to have.
actors on stage in, in the ancient world because they would just, they, they could do a play with as few as two actors. That, that they just swap out masks. They'd play all these different roles because they just put on a different mask for a different situation. And it's a picture of how many of us live our lives. We've got a mask for work. We've got a mask for home. We've got a mask for church. We just take on these different personas. We project these. And Jesus called that hypocrisy. And he hated it. Now let me just go ahead and say, this is a tough subject to deal with. It's a tough subject for one reason, because it is so tricky. It's like pride. We can always see it in others, but it's so hard to ever see pride or hypocrisy in ourselves. I mean, in fact, how many of you, just being honest, how many of you would say, I, I know at least one hypocrite around me. It's okay. You can raise your hands. It's not a trap. I know some hypocrites. Half of you are raising your hands and half of you are going, I know he's setting us up. I know he's fixing to hurt me if I raise my hand. Everybody in here has known people who are hypocrites. Half of you are sitting next to somebody right now that you think, if I was honest, I'd, I'd tell you that I'm sitting next to a hypocrite. Because it's easy to identify hypocrisy in other people, but we don't tend to recognize it in ourselves. And so today we just want to take a hard look, not at the person sitting to our right or our left, but a hard look in the mirror to deal with a difficult subject. Now, we all know this, that if you talk to people who are at Walmart this morning or they're on the golf course or they're anywhere but in church this morning, and if you ask them why is it that on Sunday morning you choose not to be in church, you know what the number one answer is that you're going to get. What is it? That's exactly it. The church is full of hypocrites. And I confess, as a, a Christ follower and somebody who loves the church, I, I love being here. I, I'm glad I get to be with you on Sunday mornings. And I get, I get a little offended at times that people, you know, saying, church is just full of hypocrites. And I, I want to bow up at that. But then when I take a step back and I just consider the realities of life and of my life, I realize there's a reason why people say that. And it's mostly because they've been hurt. They've been hurt by church people. In fact, if you want to pull out your outline, there's a quote at the beginning of your outline that's worth considering. Brennan Manning said this, that the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. That's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. You know, I'll, I'll hear Christians who sort of naively say, I don't see how anybody on earth could look at a sunset or just look at nature, look at the ocean, and not know that there is a God. And I think we probably need to take a deep breath and consider, yes, all those things cry out to everyone that there is a creator God who is good. Unfortunately, some of us who are followers of Christ have behaved in such a way that the world gets confused and goes, if that's God's representation of himself in the world, we have a hard time believing in that God. That we're the thing that trips people up. It's our inconsistencies. It's the gap between what we project and then who we really are that throws people off, that leaves people saying, it doesn't make sense. I can't picture this God who is all wise, all powerful, and all good when the people who are supposed to be like him, serving him and following him, behave the way that they do. When they say one thing and they do something else. And we've all run into that before, haven't we? And it really does cause deep hurt. I was reflecting this week 
on an experience that I had. It's been, I guess, 27 years ago, 27 or 28 years ago. And it marked me so deeply. I was in a church that I loved 30 years ago when I uh, first got married and, and just, you know, really stepping into the adult experience as a young man. First church that I was ever in as a married man. We loved the church. We went there. It was new to us. We went there because God was at work. So many people were being saved and reached. It was uh, in that city. It was the go and blow in church that had just exploded on the scene, reaching so many people. And we just jumped into that. So excited to be a part of what God was doing. And over the span of the next three years, got really involved in student ministry, and that was so much a big part of what God was doing. So many students were being reached, so many lives that were being changed, and the the youth pastor there became a real mentor for me. I served in youth ministry alongside him, working under him, learning from him. and He was such the real deal. He was such a transparent person. He he truly, as much as anybody I've known, was not a hypocrite. He, He just... He was honest about his strengths and his failures and and just was really somebody that you wanted to be around and learn from. But the longer that I was there, the more my heart began to be troubled because I saw some inconsistencies in the senior leadership of the church. And I'm just going to be honest with you, with the senior pastor of the church, who was a very charismatic figure, it was a a very personality-driven church. And I began to see, because I was close friends with my mentor, who was the student pastor's name was Stephen, and... I began to see more and more things that were happening between the pastor and the student pastor where it sure seemed like my friend Stephen was just getting the the rough end of things and, and wasn't being treated well. And the more I got involved and began to be in a leadership role, the more I began to see a side of my pastor that was really troubling, that there was this very charismatic persona on stage who, who was great at presenting the gospel and leading people to faith and yet off of stage – this person who was so cruel and, and unhealthy and manipulative, and I began to see the things that he would do to his staff members and particularly to my good friend that really did bother me. And, and I, I began to sense that something was very, very broken, and, and it seemed that things came to a head when my friend Stephen went to my pastor and, and they – you know, you could just tell things were on the verge of just a total explosion, but they, they got seemingly very honest with each other and made some agreements about some things. Stephen ended up confronting some things about, you know, being trashed in front of other people and things that needed to change. And so there were commitments made about never say anything negative about one another. We're going to protect and support each other. We're going to work together going forward, and that's great. And But at this point, my heart had sort of been damaged by the things that I had seen going on, and I felt like... I, as a believer, I don't need to just carry that around or talk about it. I, I need to go sit down with my pastor, and I, I just want to clear the air because I want to go forward fully in support here. And so I sat down to have an honest conversation with him. And before I could even really get out the things that were on my heart, he just began to unload to me about my closest friend, completely trashing him. And telling me how he was thinking about running him off and how he had two files of dirt on him. And that if Stephen ever said one negative word about him, how he would destroy his career. And that he wasn't the only member of his staff that he had files of dirt on. And I'm just thinking, what on earth am I hearing? I mean, this is like extortion. And and it's in the church. And it's bizarre. And then he starts telling me how he wants me to take Stephen's place on the staff. And he starts heaping praise on me. How I'm the one that he's grooming to come in now and take over this area of ministry. And I'm just feeling sick. 
because I realized I'm being sucked into something that is so much more unhealthy than I had ever imagined. And, and I just walked out of that just sort of in a daze, and I went to my friend, and I said, man, I don't want to tell you this, but I just had a conversation that's so messed up from start to finish, and a lot of it was about you, and it wasn't supposed to be about you, but I know the covenant that you and you two just made to one another about how you'd never say anything critical of, of each other and how you'd protect one another, but i got to tell you what just got thrown at me and how I'm supposed to be replacing you and all. And, and so, of course, he immediately went back to the source with the net result that that day he resigned and walked away from his position in that church never to return. He didn't trash the pastor or anything, but he, he just left. And, of course, that leaves things in an awkward position. This guy that the church has so loved and the students have loved is suddenly gone. How did this happen? And, you know, people are looking around asking questions and and in the course of of their conflict and this coming to a head Stephen was direct and he said I know what you're doing because Mark sat down with me and told me what was going on well suddenly the crosshairs were on me and the pastor turned all of his anger and unhealthiness immediately on me said oh there's the source of of the evil there's the problem and next thing i know deacons are knocking on my door saying we have heard and i'm like i don't know what you've heard but come on in and let's talk and just trying to be honest about what's going on and man pastors calling me on the phone screaming and just telling me how i'm the evil in the church and i'm like what are you talking about i'm a nobody in your church i've i've never been anything but a nobody in the church i all I did was share with my friend the contents of our conversation. And, and, you know, he's just literally calling me the evil of the church that needs to go. And I just remember at the end of the conversation saying, understand this. If I'm the evil in your church that's causing all the problems, all your problems are solved. Because we're not making trouble. We're, we're just going to go somewhere else where we can support what's going on. And that sounds like a tidy ending to an ugly story. But I tell you that whole long, ridiculous story to say, for the next 10 years of my life, I could never think of that experience without feeling deep pain. Because it just ripped something apart in me to suddenly be removed from so many people who had become my family. And to have someone that I had trusted as a spiritual leader in my life and to see such terrible inconsistency and to have something that was so far removed from the character of Christ just poured out on me. And I'm not saying all this to trash the person over time i realize he's broken just like me and just like everybody else and we're all capable of hurting other people i simply tell you that story to acknowledge if you stick around long enough if it hasn't already happened to you you will have an experience with somebody in church who will hurt you in a way that looks like anything but jesus and it has the potential to damage you long term if you'll let it and it's that kind of experience that has caused many people to decide that there isn't a God, or maybe there is a God, but those people who gather in church buildings don't represent him well, so I don't want anything to do with them. So can we just agree together, there is a real big problem. And it is this kind of thing that Jesus hated. He doesn't, he doesn't hate people. He hates the destructive stuff that we do to him. That is so rooted in needing to project one thing when in fact we're so far removed from that reality. And I want to be clear in, in what we're talking about today. As we talk about hypocrisy, 
hypocrisy, is, as you see in your outline, it's not the disparity between what we do and what we wish we did. We all struggle with that. You wish that you didn't think certain things, but you do think them. And you feel bad about that, and you need to, to confess it and make it right, and then you struggle with it again. That's not hypocrisy. That is simply the struggle of getting from where you are to becoming more and more like Jesus, and we all struggle there. There's, there's always a gap. Until we meet Jesus face to face, there will be a gap. That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the gap between what we show and who we really are. You with me on that? It's not about the fact that we have not yet arrived. It's just about the gap between what I want you to believe about me and what I'm trying to convince you about me and the reality of who I am. That's what Jesus hates. And we've all seen the different Christian versions of this, haven't we? The different specific masks that Christians can put on. Think about some of the different ones that you've encountered in life. Have you ever met the person who wears the angry, self-righteous Christian mask? The one who's just, he's against everything. He's always standing against somebody and something. It's the, it's the brother that's, he's against drinking and smoking and chewing and, and, and running with the girls who do any of those things. You know, he's just against all of that. He, he never been to a rated R movie in his life. He never listens to that secular music. He hates all those homosexuals, those lesbians, those transgenders, standing against all of them. Hates people who've had abortions. We've got to stand against all this stuff. So angry and self-righteous. And yet you really get to know them, and you discover there's all this chaos behind the mask. They don't know how to, to do a healthy relationship with anybody. But we're just standing against everything Jesus is against. Angry Christian. And on the other end of the spectrum, there's a happy Christian just praising Jesus all the time. How are you doing? I'm just blessed and highly favored. How are you? Always blessed and highly favored. Don't get me wrong. We are blessed and highly favored. I'm just talking about the fact of the matter that sometimes your heart is in the dumps. Life is, is rough, and you're not feeling blessed and highly favored. And when somebody's asking you how you're doing, and you're just going, I'm just blessed, praise Jesus. You're nothing but a silly Christian cheerleader. I mean, just get real. We all know happy Christian, that mask. And then there's super spiritual Christian. Well, brother, I just think you need to pray about that. You just need to trust Jesus with that. They don't ever have any real helpful advice on anything. It's just always pray about it. Just trust Jesus. And yet you get to know them and you find out they don't usually spend a lot of time praying. And that they're struggling to trust Jesus. But they're quick to tell you some trite line to, to fix it. Well, we've all seen the different masks. And it, and it makes us sick. And it made Jesus sick. And Paul, in, in writing to Titus, he talked about people whose consciences had even just gotten damaged in the whole deal. And he said, they claim to know God, but their, with their actions, they deny him. This is who we're talking about. We're talking about us. We're talking about the times and ways when our lips are saying the right thing, but our lives are just not backing it up. And Jesus the, the time when he confronted this issue the most candidly and directly, it's recorded in Matthew 23. There's a good chance nobody in the room spent a lot of your devotional time this week in Matthew 23 because it's not a fun chapter. 
It is the seven woes chapter. You ever just spend any time camped on the seven woes of Jesus? It's, it's when in one chapter, Jesus just confronts seven different things with the religious leadership of his day. And it always starts with, he, he begins every new section by going, woe to you, which is essentially, I got bad news for you today. You got a problem and I'm here to tell you about it. I mean, it is Jesus at his harshest, his sharpest edge, seven different times. Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you teachers of the law. He's calling out all of the religious leadership of his day. And he confronts all of these different things that are going on with them. Things like, he says, woe to you because you love to stand in the public places, on the street corners, praying aloud. So that everyone can hear what spiritual giants you are. And he says, you're the same businessmen who will, who will take away widows' houses. You, you loan them money at exorbitant interest rates so that when they get behind, you can snatch the house away from a widow. Amen. And he says again and again, you are hypocrites. You say you're justified in doing this. But it's pure hypocrisy. And he goes on to say in verses 27 and following in Matthew 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, once again, you hypocrites, you mask wearers. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. And in the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? We love to just talk about the love of Jesus, but doesn't the real Jesus that you find in the scriptures take your breath away sometimes? I mean, the guy who can look religious people in the eye and say, You snakes! You, you brood of vipers! How are you possibly going to escape going to hell? I don't know of any pastors today who preach and talk like that. I'm like, man! No wonder the crowds would follow him and then they'd go back home and say, I don't think so today. He had a sharp edge to him. And he hated hypocrisy. Now, we would love to say, yep, those old religious leaders 2,000 years ago, they deserved that. But I wonder how much of the time Jesus would have to deliver a similar message to us today in the 21st century. There are a lot of different ways for us to demonstrate our hypocrisy. And I'm afraid social media has maybe become one of the easiest. It has become an easy platform for hypocrisy, hasn't it? Look at my marriage. Look at my perfect mate, perfect wife, perfect husband, perfect relationship. He's so wonderful. She's so great. Now, you hadn't slept together in the last six months, but on Facebook, you've got a perfect relationship. And don't you kid yourself. What I'm describing happens all over the place. Men and women who can't even have a civil conversation and can't remember the last time that they've been intimate or shared a bed. But on Facebook, we need to project an image of one thing that doesn't match reality at all. Look at my kids. We're such a perfect family. We're not going to acknowledge on Facebook that one of them's a pothead and the other one has gotten his girlfriend pregnant and hadn't told anybody else that. But we're such a perfect family. And I'm not talking down to anybody who's struggling with your kids. What I'm saying is, if you're a parent, we struggle. 
It's hard. If you're married, it's hard. It's wonderful. It's the best and hardest thing you've ever done in your life to be a husband or a wife and to be the parent of a teenager. There are days when it's the greatest joy of your life, and there are days when you think this has to happen in hell, too. There has to be a marriage to deal with and teenagers to take care of. Some of you are just thinking, you're being so harsh. You live long enough, and you understand it's great and it's hard. Life isn't just what we would post on Facebook. Don't you just love how uplifting Facebook can be or Instagram? You know, Here I am having my quiet time today, my coffee, my Bible, and Jesus. The reality is I spent more time getting this picture just right of my Bible and my coffee than I spent praying or reading it. The definition of hypocrisy. And let me just say this. If you're starting to feel a little uncomfortable, that's a really good thing. It is because it means you're self-aware. When you don't feel any discomfort in what we're talking about, it's a pretty good indication. My conscience is so seared, I can't even begin to recognize my own struggles because everybody in the room, starting with me, struggles with some level of hypocrisy. But here's the good news. We started the day by lighting the candle of hope because Jesus is our hope. There is hope for the hypocrite. And in the middle of Jesus' most scathing words, he offered hope. Hear what he said in verses 25 and 26 of the same chapter. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Here he goes again. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Let me stop there for a second because I'm getting really uncomfortable myself. You know, at some point you have to pause and go, I wonder what those old Pharisees were up to. I mean, what all must they have been doing to keep Jesus just so ticked off? Well, hear what he's confronting. You're greedy and you're self-indulgent. And it just makes me sick. I can't think of any two adjectives that fit our American lifestyles better than those two. And we may be quick to go, well, I'm not greedy. I mean, I don't try and take what belongs to other people. When we spend everything that we make on ourselves, I don't know what else you could call that but greedy and self-indulgent in, in, in light of how much the world around us is struggling and starving and in need. Blind Pharisee, first, here's the hope. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Now, the analogy that he uses is of a cup that is just so filthy and nasty. We just moved a couple of weeks ago, and it is sort of scary. You think you keep everything tidy, but, you know, when you have to move everything that you own, you discover some things that have gotten knocked behind something, hidden behind You'll just find some things that are nasty beyond words inside and out. We, we bumped into a couple of things that are just like so nasty that you think, I believe I'd rather throw it away than try and clean it. Jesus says, picture a cup like that. And he says, what you Pharisees do is you spend all your time cleaning the outside of the cup. You don't clean the inside one little bit, and then you're willing to drink out of the same cup. We all go, ah, who would do that? And Jesus is using that as a word picture to say it's how you live your life. You are only concerned with the outside of the cup. What's the outside of the cup? It's the image that I project. It's what you can see of me. You can only see the outside. I need to make sure that what you see and know of me is the good stuff. 
I need for you to picture me as a man of virtue, a man of deep faith, a man of long prayers, a man who trusts God all the time with a great marriage and a great dad. You just see the outside of the cup. I don't want to make sure you see the good stuff. Jesus said you spend all your time on that without ever really cleaning out the inside of who you are. But then he says the most striking thing, and it doesn't seem to make sense when you first read it. He says, if you'd reverse what you do, and if you'd focus on cleaning the inside of the cup, the outside would be clean. Well, that doesn't make any sense. you got a cup that's dirty inside and out, and you just wash the inside of the cup. Why is the outside suddenly clean? It's because now he's talking about a deep spiritual reality. If you quit worrying about what other people think and what you project and how other people see you, and you just focus on the desperate need of your own heart... And in dealing with your broken, weak, struggling heart, you just run to Jesus every day. Oh, Jesus, I need you. I'm going to blow it today. I'm not even going to focus on behavior modification. I'm just going to start right here on my knees confessing to you, Jesus, my brokenness. Before we can even get to what I'm going to mess up today, I'm just telling you today, I am messed up. And I need you. I need your spirit living in me. Now we're starting to clean the inside of the cup. And the amazing thing is, he says, if you'll focus on dealing with the inside, I'll take care of the outside. The outside over time will get cleaned up. You'll begin to live differently. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect. But you won't worry about having to project something that's different. You just focus on letting me change what's broken on the inside. And then you don't have to play act. I want to, yes, indeed, hallelujah. I just want to share something with you that you probably haven't had to think about if you haven't been in, in the place that I live in. But there is a, a significant struggle for anybody who does what I do for a living. And you might best characterize it as this thing called the pastor's mystique. That pastors tend to innately believe that we are supposed to live on a different level. Be more spiritual. Have better marriages. Think better thoughts. Use better words. And that we should project an image that reflects that. And it's sort of sad how many pastors actually really do believe that. I have a colleague who pointed out that he actually had a professor in seminary who taught this in class. Guys, you have to have the pastor's mystique. I just said this openly. If you struggle, if you have problems, you can't share those with your people. If you have doubts, if you're struggling in your faith, if you have hard questions, you don't talk about those so that the people in your church know that. They need to see you as a praying man, a man of deep faith, a man with a strong marriage, a man who's always a level above so that they can aspire to what you have. They have an example to follow. And you can describe that in a way that it almost sounds right, except for one thing. It's based on hypocrisy. It's based on deception. Because the truth of the matter is, there is no difference between pastors and everybody else in the world. Every pastor you've ever known is just like everybody else you've ever known. We have the same struggles. I want to tell you as plainly and honestly as I can. I love Jesus. I've been a follower of Jesus for a very long time. And I still struggle. 
I still need the grace of God every day in my life. I am so grateful that God brought Jackie in my life. I cannot imagine being paired with somebody who is a better match for me. I know how blessed I am. And yet we still have bad days. We had some bad days this week. We tend to get along great. And yet we had days this week when we were like a cat and a dog. I don't know why. I think because I act like a dog sometimes. <laughs> and if you think I'm just kidding, ask my wife. She'll tell you. I've been a dog at times this week, haven't I? See, that's part of the real deal is you've got to preach in front of your wife. I love my wife. I love my marriage. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And sometimes it is the hardest thing that I know to live with. Most of the time, it is the best thing in my life. And when it's not the best thing, sometimes it's the hardest thing. And I'll guarantee you, she, if she's honest, and she, I guarantee you, Jackie will be honest. She'll tell you, it is. It's good and it's hard. That's just real life. There are days when I wake up and I'm so hungry for more of Jesus and his word. And there are other days that I wake up and it's a chore. It's a chore to pray and it's a chore to read the Bible. Well, I think I might need a new pastor. Well, you may. Because this one's broken. This one is broken all the way to here and here. There are days when my mind goes to healthy places. And there are days when my, my, my mind and my heart are so self-centered and self-indulgent. I like for things to be about me. I like for things to go my way. I enjoy gossip as much as anybody else. What I'm telling you is I'm as broken as a pastor and a Christian can be, just like you. But I am forgiven, and I am making progress. The grace of God doesn't leave us where it finds us. I could also stand here and tell you of things that used to be major struggles in my life that I look back and I go, wow, hadn't hardly realized it, but I hadn't struggled with that in a long time. I remember what it was like to be a young man and a walk down the beach was an invitation to lust and terrible thoughts. And now all these years later, I realize I'm not in bondage to that anymore. I can go down the beach or I can go wherever and... And my heart and my mind don't go there. I can remember as a younger man feeling like I couldn't look at a woman without doing the bounce, the double bounce, the triple bounce. And me and you all know what I'm talking about. And realizing that there are things like that that aren't a struggle in my life anymore because the grace of God is changing me on the inside. Things that it just felt like they would never go away. Some of the things that I struggle with, I didn't even realize were a struggle a while back because there were other bigger things. I'm still broken, and I'm still struggling. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter that I've been a Christian for 42 years. I understand that I still need the grace of God. I still need the forgiveness of God. And I still need a circle of friends in my life who I can be honest with and who are honest with me. And in just simply confessing our struggles to one another and praying for each other, there's healing that's experienced and there's progress. And hypocrisy gets blown up in the process. This is part of why it's so powerful to live in a community where there is small group experience. I love being a part of my small group. And I love that there's honesty in my small group. Our small group decorated as they always do. We, we decorate the church for Christmas. And I thank you to my small group for doing this. Y'all did a, did a great job. Okay. 
one of the members of our group, something happened in the course of the night, and one of the members of our group, I don't even remember what brought it on, but one confessed to some language coming out in the course of decorating and something not going right, and, and admitted that to the group. And in confessing that, used a term that only our group would understand. And immediately in response to what she confessed, we all said, did you use some of those cute little cuss words that slip out every now and then? Because another member of our group who's in the room confessed one night to struggling with what comes out. And sometimes it ain't just some cute little cuss words that come out is, is what was confessed. And I mean, we, we laugh about it together. And yet the healthy thing is the reason that we can laugh and there's no self-righteous condemnation is because we all realize we struggle with anger and we struggle with how we respond and sometimes we struggle with what comes out of our mouths. And the wonderful, beautiful, healthy thing is that there's a community where there doesn't have to be pretense, where, where one person can say, I just blew it right out there in the foyer. I said, I don't need to say what I said, but I, or whatever it is that we can look at each other and go, we need prayer tonight because we're just fighting. We love each other, and yet we're treating each other like we don't. And we need you to pray for us this week. And it's a safe place to do that. We're experiencing the reality of Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen that says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Somebody say amen. Here's the bottom line. There is no grace for the pretender. But there is unlimited grace for the honest person. Now the story I shared at the beginning of the message, I got exposed to something that hurt my heart, but that shaped me for the rest of my life. Because and it actually was a gift that God let me be in an environment where I got to see pastoral leadership because God knew he was preparing me for a lot of years of being a pastor. I got to see some really unhealthy things in terms of pastoral leadership. It's okay that a pastor is broken as long as a pastor can confess his brokenness and turn to the people and places to find grace and help to get forgiveness and healing and move beyond where you are. And the good thing that happened out of all those experiences is God so impressed on my heart what I wanted to make sure that I never became. And one of the things that I walked away with was the determination. I would always prefer to be known as an honest sinner than a pretend, being a pretend professional Christian. There's a lot of full-time pastors who are part-time followers of Jesus. A lot of full-time mothers who are part-time followers of Jesus. A lot of full-time businessmen who are part-time followers of Jesus. I don't want to be that. I want to be full-time. I want to be consistent. And I want to be real with the good and the bad. And that doesn't mean that we all have to stand up and confess our deepest, darkest sin in church every Sunday. But it does mean that we've got to get rid of the mask and be honest and real and find healthy people and healthy environments to do that in because there's unlimited grace, there's unlimited mercy when we get honest and we are only going to be as strong as we are honest. We'll say that one again. You're only going to be as strong as you are willing to be honest. The parts that are going to stay the sickest are going to be the parts that we keep hidden in the darkness. When we hide, we stay in bondage. And so the challenge today is for every one of us to just begin to truly 
pray the prayer of David in Psalm 139 when he said these familiar words, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me in the path of everlasting life. The scary thing is, if you wear the mask long enough, you will start believing your own lies. You'll start believing your own PR. And you'll become numb to the reality of some of the brokenness in your own life. But if you'll with sincerity begin to pray this and ask the Lord to do this, it won't all come as a flood in one moment. But over time, God will, in his wisdom, begin to point out one item after another that he's going to give grace for this season now to begin to address this and heal this and change this from the inside. And he'll do it. He'll begin to show us the gaps. But I want you to be clear about this, that we don't close the gaps with perfection. You with me on that? You don't close the gap by trying harder, being better. We close the gaps with Jesus. It's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 1.30 when he says of Jesus that he has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. We could spend a whole hour just talking about that one verse, what that means. That Jesus doesn't just become for us our inspiration or our source of power to suddenly be righteous and holy. No, he has become our righteousness. It's not a commodity for us to purchase or receive. We receive Jesus and he is our righteousness. And as we experience more of his life in us, it changes what's on the outside of the cup. But we don't have to wait till the outside of the cup is changed as we receive him every day. Oh, Jesus, I need you. I don't need to be better today. What I need is you because you aren't just better. You are perfect. You are righteous. You are holy. I never am getting there. I keep tripping up. I'm going to keep tripping up. Hopefully with a little less frequency week by week. But I don't need to focus on how many times did I trip up this week. I'm just going to confess that I have tripped up. I'll be specific about how I've tripped up between me and God. But my focus isn't going to be on that. My focus is going to be on, Jesus, I need you because when I am depending on you and trusting you and, and inviting your spirit to fill me every day, you become righteousness and wisdom and holiness in me. So the invitation is a risky one. Would you ask God to show you where, where you really are? Would you ask him to begin to show you what the gaps are between what you portray and who you really are? And would you be willing to take a step beyond that and just get honest with somebody? Let somebody begin to pray with you. It's crazy the healing and change that takes place the moment that we just find somebody to get honest with and say, I feel like I've been wearing a mask in this area of my life. People, people ask me all the time, how are you doing? And I just say, I'm fine or I'm blessed. And I just need to confess to somebody, I'm broken. I need to confess to somebody, I'm broke. I'm so deep in debt that I feel like I'm drowning and that's been my big secret. I need to confess to somebody, I'm addicted. I'm addicted to gambling. I'm addicted to pills. I'm addicted to alcohol. I'm addicted to porn. It's been my big secret. I need to confess to somebody that my marriage is not what everybody thinks it is. 
I'm not the spouse that I should be and we've got major problems and I need help. I need help being the person that I'm supposed to be because there's been something that I've been covering up and pretending about. And we're only going to be as healthy as we are honest. We're going to have to get honest with God, honest with ourselves, and honest with somebody else. And for the person who can do that, there's unlimited grace. There's unlimited power for change. But you cut the flow off the moment that you keep it in and you determine, I can fix this. I'll deal with this. And for as long as you do that, God says, good luck. I'll leave you to it. Come back and see me when you realize you're at the end of your rope. There are some people here today. There are some of you watching and listening online. You tuned in today. You didn't know why. You tuned in because the fact of the matter is you're at the end of your rope. And God wants you to let go of your rope and just fall into a sea of grace and forgiveness. There is hope. Only for the honest. Would you join me as we turn to him together in prayer? God, we ask you for a gift today. A gift of just a fresh move of your spirit among us that would allow us to just drop the masks, to drop the pretense, to get honest with you and with ourselves and with somebody else. God, there are some of us who are so exhausted from carrying a secret carrying around brokenness that we've been trying to cover up we've been trying to keep from our christian friends we've been trying to keep from our husband keep from our wife and we're just so tired of pretending god today in this place and the hearts and lives of people who are watching and listening online would you do a fresh work just like on the day when we first trusted you for forgiveness and salvation would you help us to just turn to you honestly trusting in your grace and your mercy we know that you'll grant forgiveness but would you help us to be honest and open would you do a healing work a work of life change but start with the inside of the cup on us God start with our hearts do a work of brokenness and restoration here today we thank you Jesus for your love thank you that your grace doesn't end at the moment of salvation that it begins there for us Let us walk in that. Lord Jesus, come. Come into our lives. Come into our brokenness. Come into our struggles. You come. We need you. We need you to come and bring healing and help. We ask you for that. We trust you for that. We pray this in in your powerful name, Lord Jesus. Amen.